What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is a former NFL player and a current FBS head athletic performance coach. Brian Johnson runs the strength and conditioning program for the Cal football team. He has spent 11 seasons on strength and conditioning staffs at the FBS level as well as in the NFL. Johnson talks about how college programs are putting more emphasis on speed training and what new training methods he's added to his program over the last decade. Before we get to the podcast, some quick notes. If you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce our weekly podcast, subscribe to the FNF Coaches Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google Play. Go ahead and give the pod a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. Follow us on Twitter, at FNFCoaches. Let's get right to the interview with Coach Johnson. Hey, Coach Johnson, welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk to we we don't often talk to college coaches, but it, whenever we get one, it's it's good to impart some of that wisdom for our high school coaches. Now, I was kind of looking uh, at your background. I saw we were our office is actually in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I saw you played high school football at Godby High School, um, yeah. w- which obviously is a uh, a big time high school football program in Florida, but. You have since gone on to coach, uh, be a strength coach at you know LSU and some really big time college programs, as well as for the 49ers and NFL staff. As you look back to um, your high school days and the the strength and conditioning you did in your high school days, how would you assess that experience and what what do you think was missing? Um, well, for in high school, uh. I think I got exactly what I needed in high school as far as it came to strength and conditioning because it was the first time that I had stepped in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was very adamant about me not lifting weights until about 10th grade. And that's when I went to, uh, when I first enrolled at Garvey High School. Now, I'm not taking that same approach with my son just because I do have a little more information uh, on that. But being in there with the guys, it was mainly just being there. It was my first time playing organized football. So it was it was good for me because we were competing with each other. It was basic lifts. And when it comes to high school strength and conditioning, you don't have to get into all that super complicated stuff. I mean, at that age, uh, guys are kind of in at their peak point to just start introducing some of the basics and fundamentals of movement. And that's that's what I got from my high school strength and conditioning program. So it was uh, it was perfect for what I needed, and it set me up very well for my transition going into to play college ball. Yeah, that we do talk to a lot of coaches who say the same thing. A lot of you know freshman year is really a deve- developmental time where you're just trying to work on uh, movement patterns and making sure guys are doing their lifts with the correct form. They know how to hold the bar. They know how to position their feet. Things like that. Um, how did it change when you got to college uh, at LSU? What were what were the biggest changes? Well, the biggest changes were that there was actually like a scientific reasoning. Um, I did dig a lot deeper into the Olympic lifts mm-hmm. uh, because Coach Moffitt, my strength coach in college, uh, he's ground based and he based a lot of his off of a Gail Hatch lifting system. And Gail Hatch is coached uh, weightlifting athletes in the Olympics. 
mm -hmm. uh, for years. He's a legend. So um, that, but more so just the speed of things, the organization of things, time management. Uh, you know, I wasn't in, in high school, even when I first stepped, when I stepped into a weight room for the first time, like I easily caught up to the strongest guys that were in the weight room. You know, I was a sophomore, you know, competing and lifting with some of the seniors uh, when I was at Gabi. Uh, but then when I got to LSU, there was a big difference. There was a big gap from me as a freshman to our seniors on the team at that time at LSU. Uh, so it was mainly just really playing catch up <laughs> once I got to that level. Uh, and there was just a lot more involved because uh, it was it was football and it was lifting weights and the workouts were a lot harder. They were longer. And then you got to hurry up and shower up and then you got to get to class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's and, and study hard. Then, oh, I'm on my own so I can kind of do what I want now. So trying to balance all of that stuff was huge. Did did you always love the the strength and conditioning piece even when you were playing or when did you start to get a sense this is what you wanted to do? Uh later in my career I did when I when I, I will admit when I when I first got to college uh, I did, I did struggle a little bit um especially when it came to the conditioning part. Uh you know the 110 some of that longer running the aerobic training I really didn't do a lot of training for that in high school. And even now, like knowing what I know, just genetically, I am built more for just short, really explosive bout, more anaerobic. So I can do that stuff all day. Mm -hmm. uh, my weakness as a player was the aerobic foundation, building an aerobic foundation to be able to repeat those efforts over and over again. Um, and so that stuff started coming later. And then once I started getting that understanding of what I needed to be able to play the game, that's when I really got locked into it. And then um, getting injured in the NFL even made that fascination uh, even bigger and, and trying to figure out ways to prevent some of those injuries and limit some of the wear and tear on the body as much as we possibly can. Uh, I felt like in the weight room, that's where I could get that. And then that's what led me into uh, pursuing a career in strength and conditioning. Now, has it changed in that regard? Like you said, 110s, and it sounds, you know, gassers are kind of the things that the old school coaches do. I was yeah. talking to a coach recently who who said, you know, those 10-meter 10, 10 flies now are the big thing, or the 40s, or, you know, has, has the speed training and the conditioning piece uh, evolved a lot since you were in college? Yeah, it's definitely evolved, definitely. Uh, I think there is less of an emphasis on a lot of the longer distance running the 110s, uh, the, the full gashers, the half gashers. Uh, and then people are kind of focusing on other ways to build that aerobic foundation. It doesn't always have to uh, be running. There mm -hmm. are so many other ways we can do a lot of off feet things. And, and then people start talking about the central nervous system and having high low days to make sure that we can get the most out of our high days. Yeah. Um, and then we start looking at soft tissue injury and how, affecting that central nervous system and making sure we're manipulating those high low days uh going to uh reducing those type of injuries so the big thing is is uh the big change is is there's just more information it's not to say that those old school coaches were wrong they were doing what they thought was best based off the information that they had and now you look 15 20 years down the road there's just new information and yes anaerobic training with training sprinting uh 
you know, sprinting and decelerating, accelerating, decelerating, you train forces that you still don't even get in the weight room when you do those things. So there is more of a heightened emphasis on sprint work, uh, whether you, some coaches want to work a whole bunch of technique. A lot of to- coaches just want to get those efforts and expose the tissue to those velocities and those high forces. Um, and then the weight room kind of complements that more now. Back in the day, it was just weight room, weight room, weight room. And then that kind of the running was what it was. Now, a lot of people are building their programs where the running is the most important and the weight room complements what's happening on the field. Uh, you know, you get into this deal of specificity, everything specific, specific, specific. Well, in the weight room as a strength coach, there's only we can only get but so specific. Uh, but yes, the field kind of takes precedent now. And I think that's kind of the biggest shift is, you know, sprinting and, and getting strong and, and uh, exposing the body to, to sprinting is what's huge. Yeah. And you were a defensive lineman, right? Offensive lineman. Offensive lineman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you, the, when you said one tens, you know, that made me think like, you know, everybody's lining up on the r- line together, doing it together. And yeah. now it seems like it's a, a lot more position specific. Is no that, doubt. is that the way you do things at Cal is kind of customize it for individuals or even position groups? Yeah. We customize, we customize it first. We customize it in really kind of like size groups more than anything mm-hmm. or, or skill. Right. Yeah. Um, it's all just based off the demands. And like you said, kind of position specific. What are the demands? You know, I'm not going to be teaching my the offense alignment how to zone step. I'm not teaching defense alignment their first and second step before they strike or come off the ball or how they play uh, certain different schemes or fronts. Um, it's basically just taking that and, and, and regressing it down to its most fundamental basic movement. And that's just getting them explosive out of a stance. Or even if I regress it even more, it's just making sure that they're comfortable getting in a stance, making sure that I've made them mobile and flexible enough to be able to get in and out of that stance uh, comfortably and as fast as possible, right? So we're talking about horizontal forces. We're talking about uh, the the relationship between the hip and the elbows from my offensive alignment and, and all that other good stuff. That's kind of where we break things down. So, yeah, there are things that are geared towards – Offense alignment, defense alignment, and geared towards inside linebackers, outside linebackers, tight ends, running backs, and then your wide receivers, DBs, quarterbacks. You have a lot of different things going on on the field at one time, uh, but you are giving those athletes exactly what they what they need and what the requirement uh, once they strap up the pads and helmets. Right, and it's and it's seasonal too. I mean, it sounds like. At least at the high school level, you know, the season ends, everybody kind of tells their athletes to rest and recover for about a month. And then you start up with kind of a, a, you're trying to get bigger, faster, stronger in the winter months. We're going into the summer now, and it it seems like a lot of teams are really trying to kind of hit that maximum velocity and their speed testing. They're trying to kind of figure out what their max lifts are. So when they go into season, it can be more of maintenance, you know, maintain that weight, try not to regress too much while you're in season. How yeah. do you divide up the season in terms of phases? Uh, so, you know, in the spring, we, you know, we, we really like to still, we don't, we don't get that month of recovery. I mean, you play in a bowl game, you might get a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we kind of get to a general prep phase uh, where everything is very simple. We're still working on movement. We're evaluating movement. 
We're getting guys back from some of the nagging injuries they've had, some of the overuse injuries you get with the tendonitis uh, coming off of a long season. Uh, so we're, we're, we're very basic at first when we start out. And then we're just working mechanically uh, when it comes to acceleration, deceleration, and change of direction. We regress those movements all the way down to the simplest form. Um, and then, you know, because we're preparing, and then in the weight room, it's the same thing. Kind of basic movements, get them moving again. What, what, what do we want to get to? For me, I want to get to catching a power clean, catching a snatch. So it's a lot of tissue prep. We're prepping the wrist. We're ch- prepping uh, the thoracic mobility. We're prepping uh, getting down low in those catches and in those low positions for squatting low, front squatting low, deadlifting. There's a lot of tissue prep, making sure that we have a lot of core stability, making sure we're building up the posterior chain, making sure that we're getting those hamstrings as strong as possible. So once we get into sprinting fast, once we get into lifting heavy, we usually like to do that during spring ball. We can do that because we aren't practicing every day, right? right you don't yeah. practice. You, you practice four times out of the week with the end of the week being a scrimmage. So you still have a lot of time uh, to get those gains. So a lot of the before spring ball is just kind of prep work. Yeah. Uh, and then we can get heavy during spring ball. And then after spring ball, we'll have another strength phase where we can really get big and strong because all there is, again, is us working on output out on the field. We want to work a little bit more of getting fit towards the back end of the spring. So we start to build some of that aerobic foundation, that repeatability for our guys. Uh, And then as they go off on another break and we come back and we hit another phase of that uh, just output uh, and and, and still kind of microdose some of that aerobic foundation. Uh, And then that back end of summer, it's all work capacity. Uh, and we're still working to get strong. We might even go into somewhat of a power phase. It just depends on where we are as a team. Uh, but now it's to get ready for football. Right. We have to repeat explosive efforts. We got to, if, if we do have any guys that are kind of broke, broken down from the first phase, we got to work on bringing those guys back. If we got any post-op guys that are getting ready to c- kind of transitioning into football again and return to play, we're trying to lock in their deal. And then we get into training camp. Uh, I'm trying to limit as much soreness as I possibly can because they're getting hit hard with a completely different stimulus. Right. So we build a foundation of output. We built an aerobic foundation. Uh, we've worked on work capacity so they can repeat all of those efforts of output that we trained them for during the off season. Uh, and then I would say more during training camp is more when I like to maintain. Yeah. So we might go into some things where we're just concentric only, where we don't, we, we won't, we'll try to limit as much eccentric uh, muscle contractions that we possibly can. Uh, sometimes that's just a trap bar deadlift. You know, you can still go heavy. You bring it off the floor and instead of guiding it down with that eccentric contraction, you just drop it out of your hand. Then you go down and pick it up uh, because that eccentric lowering is the part that's most taxing on, on that muscle they're already getting a bunch of eccentrics on the field with uh, decelerating. Right. All right. So we try to limit what they're getting a lot of already in practice and maintaining. And then in the season, we're working for gains. We're working to, uh, and and it all depends, you know, we have to be strategic about what lifts, you know, we we probably don't want to max out on power cleans in season or back squats. But we'll choose some safer lifts, maybe deadlifts or bring things off the ground. And once again, 
it's always about prepping the tissue for what you want to get out of it. So we can, in the back end of the season, we're still really strong instead of maintaining. And then you see some of the decreases and then, you know, you're sitting there watching the fourth quarter of a game and wondering why your defense line getting driven off the ball um, <laughs> because you just worried about maintaining, you know what I mean? So yeah. we, we like to get gains during the football season. That makes sense. Um, and then when you were explaining the deadlift and, you know, you're not doing the eccentric part, you're just dropping it. It made me think, you know, that's got to be loud in the weight room when you got all these, uh, you know, big guys just dropping their weights everywhere. What, how do you generate energy in the weight room? You hear a lot of high school coaches talk about that, you know, and especially yeah. in the summer when it's a grind, how do you generate energy? Well, first and foremost, it's just about uh, the standard and, and, and what your culture is. Um, if you set a standard that when you come in here, you're working hard, you have great energy, you're being a good teammate, you're explaining why those things are important, then it's not something that you have to worry about on a daily basis. It's your team is intrinsically motivated, which most really good teams are. They don't have to be uh, corralled or, or talked into working hard. They come in and, and they do it themselves, and that's why being in a place like Cal is really uh, special uh, because you have a bunch of guys that in order for them to get enrolled in this university, they have to be intrinsically motivated. They they already have to be uh, high achievers. Now, there are days we'll give them a talk. And, and, and as coaches, we definitely have to show that we have a lot of energy, that we're excited, that we're passionate. Uh, but when you do that on a consistent basis, when you really love what you do and you, you, you enjoy being around them, I think it's just natural. It's organic. It just happens. And uh, as coaches, we have to check ourselves, too. And, yeah, we get tired, too. There are days we don't feel like doing it. Um, but, you know, you go brew you a good cup of coffee and you start seeing the guys coming in with their smiling faces. And it's, it's real natural that you just naturally have that energy. And it, it, it kind of seeps into them as well when they don't feel like it. Right. Yeah, that is a it is a culture thing, I think, when you, if you get the right – guys and they're supporting each other and they're spotting each other and you know that it's not all about them in the weight room then I think that kind of uh is contagious almost yeah no doubt um now in terms of uh, lifts that you test players on you had mentioned yeah you know it might not be back squat in season uh, or you know it could be deadlift in season what lifts do you test players on do you do all of them or just kind of your core lifts uh it's mainly the core lifts mm -hmm. it's mainly what we deem as important I mean Right now, we're in a fa we're going to go into a phase where we're working on acceleration and max velocity. So we'll have a you know more of a unilateral focus. So we'll do more. Our big lift will be our single leg lower body uh, lift. Um, I'm not uh, huge on saying, "Hey, on this this is the day. This is the date. Circle it that we have to hit a one rep max." Yeah. Um, you know, I like to take the approaches that you stay ready. You, you, if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. So uh, a lot of the things that we're testing from uh, just some of the technology we use, we have force plates where we can test readiness. We have jump mats where we get power output on a daily basis to give us a readiness score. Uh, you know, our GPS data uh, also gives us an outlook into maybe some fatiguing or if, if some of that is starting to accumulate. Uh, but we like to train for our guys to always be ready to peak. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's not going to be the case, that they're always going to be ready. But if they're feeling good and our data tells us that they're ready to, to go, they can hit a PR. I mean, we during spring ball, we had several guys hitting PRs coming in here lifting after practice. 
Wow. Uh, just because we were really strategic on how we placed things and how we did things. And if that's what's going on, and that's how you know that you're preparing your team to be ready to play every Saturday, right? That's that's our deal is we don't want to just be good for one day. Um, for us to be successful, they're going to be 12 days during the season that we're going to have to be good. And we're looking to be to peak and be ready to perform on all of those days. So that's really more of our mentality. It's not really a testing deal. It's to train and prepare to be ready uh, on those important days. And for us, that's a, a Saturday and, and, and sometimes a Friday. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you want to prolong it through the entire season. You don't want to just beat your one rival. Um, what, uh, you had mentioned force plates, GPS, and obviously budgets are different at the high school level. So no doubt. they don't have access to all that stuff. But if there is one you know, piece of technology that you say, hey, if you're, if you're a high school coach and you're going to save up and uh, buy one piece of technology, what would you recommend? Man, I don't even know if I would necessarily say the technology is all that important. For high school coaches, man, it, because even still then, if I'm talking about technology, I'm still narrowing that down to even high schools that can afford it. Right. When I talk to high school coaches, I say just keep just look at what you're already measuring. You can you can get a weight. A weight is going to give you, especially if when you consistently do it. All right, weight's going to give you looks and uh, look into hydration. Weight's going to or or how they're eating, which is very important. Nutrition: Are they eating enough at home? Are they fueled and ready to go? If you get a kid that comes in, and he has five to 10 pound fluctuations, then maybe, you know, I, instead of investing in technology, I maybe invest in having some snacks in the weight room for, for kids to eat bottles of water, making sure they're hydrated in the weight room uh, for high school coaches. And then if you want to get any type of data, uh, there's a, uh, if you have a vertical, if you can test a vertical jump in inches, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things out there. I even, uh, I even, like us, when I didn't have technology or we were trying to figure out what technology we wanted, even at the Power 5 level before I bought any, we would just test a vertical jump in inches and we had a uh, Excel power sheet that you can easily build on Excel or uh, Google Sheets. And you you put in there inches every time they jump in and it gives you a range of power saying, oh, he's within 90% of his highest jump or he's within 80% or 70%. And then that just gives you an indication of where that player is. If you have players that are consistently able to hit within 95, 90% of their biggest jump, they're ready, they're thriving, they're doing good. But if you get players that are dropping off, then you know that maybe there's something that you need to change in what you're doing. So I wouldn't necessarily look at technology. Now, if you can, you know, heart rate monitoring from Polar uh, is great. Um, Cause that just gives you a great indication of how your players are, are, are adapting to what's going on on the field and in the weight room, uh, you know, fourth place are really expensive um, GPS. There are some, there are some GPS systems out there that I think are very affordable. Mm-hmm. I don't know all of them, but it's just a matter of you looking. Yeah. Uh, I know, I think I've, I've heard of one VX sports and some other ones are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of that stuff is really hard too. It's just as strength coaches in high school, or even just coaches period. If you're looking at practice and your guys just are down, well, maybe you just want to shorten the time, right? You don't want to say, I don't want practice to be less intense. Come on. We got to be honest. 
we're football football players, football coaches. We want fast, full speed practices, right. but you don't want to go fast and full speed for two hours if you're looking at a team that's struggling. You might want to take it down to hour fifteen, hour twenty minutes. So there are a lot of things that you can manipulate and do uh, to make sure that your team is ready to go. Uh, the things that we already do every day, the things that we're looking at, the data that we are collecting, you just got to figure out what the story, what what is what what story is it telling us? What story is the weight telling us? What story is a vertical jump, a simple vertical jump that you could do easily with just one piece of equipment every day? Um, you know, I've even done some like balance stuff, like every day when they come in, make them stand on one leg and see which way they're falling. Coach them up. Tell them to correct. They fall the same way, and something's going on in the nervous system where they can't correct that. Now, if they fall the opposite way, then they're good because that means that they fix what you told them to fix, right? Right. Some of that stuff is really that's simple. That's easy stuff. Um, but as far as when it comes to technology, uh, it's great if you have the budget. There's so many things out there that you can do. I couldn't even name them all. Um, but you don't need the big budget. You just need to know what you're looking at and care enough and just have enough information to give an outlook into what's going on with your team. Do you find with the the data that you're using and the analytics that it usually confirms what you already think, you know, just by looking at the guys and seeing where they're at, or do you, are you often surprised by what you see? Um, 95% of the time it confirms. Yep. But we're not looking for the 95% with the data. We're looking for the 5%. We're looking for our starting receiver, our one starting DB, and the difference is us seeing something off to make sure that we can get him to game day. You right. know what I'm saying? And that's yeah. what the data is good for. The data is good for the things that you can't see. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a very small percentage. But any coach will tell you uh, it's the small things, that the, the, the details that matter. That's what separates winning and losing. It's not the big one, right? right. It's, the, it's the jumping off sides yeah. on, on fourth and short. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that's what the data is doing. The data is giving us that little outlook into what can keep our good players healthy and on the field. And if we can catch those things and we've gotten a step closer to winning. Right. I was talking to a high school coach the other day and he said one of the biggest challenges for him is simulating the intensity of a game or even a, you know, a preseason workout. So he'll, um, you know, he'll have a tough time with soft tissue injuries at the beginning of preseason. He might get his receivers or pulling a hamstring or, you know, straining a, a muscle here and there because in the summer, you know, you're, you're not at that same intensity and then you get out on the field. Is that what, what can you do or how do you avoid that? Or is there anything that you've found really simulates the intensity of the game? So you avoid some of those injuries. Um. Well, if, you know, if they're off doing something that you, you, you can't see or you don't know, then there's no real real way of knowing. I mean, in the summer, it's basically about exposing them to sprinting because right. the soft tissue doesn't happen when they're walking. Right. If it happens when they're jogging, then you just got a whole bunch of other problems. It's probably just a big accumulation of fatigue. And if you haven't seen them up until that point, then there was nothing that was going to help that. Right. Uh, but if you do have them in the summer – you need to sprint at least twice a week, one day for acceleration. So that's anything between, I would say, zero and 15 to 20 yards. And then a day where you're just introducing, you know, sprinting for 20, 30, actually getting out there, getting in that uh, vertical 
uh, placement when they're sprinting uh, and introducing them to max velocities, giving them opportunities to sprint. And high school athletes, those skilled guys should probably be running track. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Make uh, uh, That's the other big push is, you know, everybody talks about specificity. That shouldn't be at the high school level. Those young kids should be introduced to all different kinds of stimulus. Right. Uh, but the reason that you're seeing that hamstring on day one, one could be because they haven't sprinted enough. Like I said, the weight room is not going to – there are certain forces that you cannot simulate in the weight room that they're going to see when they're sprinting. The only way to get it is sprinting. Um, but also, that you know, it's the same thing that I've seen here on the collegiate level too is no matter how well trained they are, if all of a sudden as a strength coach I'm limited to eight hours a week, that means that I can live for one hour and run for one hour. I can't simulate a two-and-a-half-hour practice on day one. Right. Right? So you always have to look at the beginning. You have to say, okay – if all of my players are getting hamstring injuries on the first day or the first week or the second week of practice, I would change time. Time is the biggest uh, regulator of volume and intensity. It's time, period. How much time are you spending on the field? Now, I'm not saying if you're in a training camp that you can only practice for an hour, hour and a half every day, but those that first week, you might want to limit it to an hour on the first two days then take it up to an hour and a half, hour 45, two hours if you need a two-hour practice. But gradually building in that, let those, let the athletes uh, feel what it's like to be out there for an hour and a half, how it feels to be out there. And then once you've done that, you've exposed them. It doesn't take the body that long to adapt. The body is an amazing thing. And uh, when you're also dealing with elite athletes, which not all of your high school kids will be elite, but they'll if, if they're on the team and they're guys that are going to be playing, there is a certain level of elite that those guys uh, that you can kind of classify them as. Their bodies will adapt to it. You just got to give them time. You just can't go from a 30-minute run, 45-minute run to a two-hour practice and not expect for the body to say, whoa, that doesn't feel right. That's what those soft tissue injuries are. It's the body shutting down. It's the body saying this is this is something's not right. I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the exposure. And if you limit time and gradually progress it, the body starts to understand what's going on, right? It's stress is stress. It understands what that stress is and now it adapts to it. And now it's not stress anymore. It's just normal whatever it is. Right. Uh, so that's 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 what I think. Exposing the sprinting in the off season, exposing the sprinting during the season, but just limiting time and not just come out there and just be like taking pride in kids crawling off the field on the first day of practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to do twelve four hundreds or whatever uh, they. Nah. You know. Um, do you do it? So you mentioned uh, you know you, you encourage the guys to run track if they're skill position players. Do you do your speed work on the track or is it mostly on the field? No, we do ours on the field. Yeah. We're doing ours in the grass, but our it, it will look like a track practice yeah. <laughs> uh, on a football field. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, what about lifting on game days? That seems to be kind of a thing now that everybody, you know, some coaches want to get the central nervous system going on game days. Yeah. Some, some want to avoid it. What about that? 
Um, I, I don't, I, I think it's just all about what you do and how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to have a lift session on game day that's looking like a lift session in the summer, the off season. Right. Um, there are things that you can do. It's all, it's about understanding what the central nervous system, what, what fatigues the central nervous system, what primes the central nervous system. There are lifts that can serve as primers. And and sometimes it's not the actual exercise, it's the intensity of the exercise, right? Right. Knowing that range, knowing that space that you can work in. Yeah, you don't want guys maxing out or hitting, you know, 90% on game day. Uh, and if you do, actually, there is some literature out there that says that you could hit an 85 to 90% lift on game day, but it needs to be a certain amount of time between when you do it and actual game day. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I like primer lifts and uh, some of my reading have shown that, you know, primers can be beneficial anywhere from six hours to 33 hours after doing them. Um, so I just, I, I like to get those primer uh, lifts or primer exercises done on the day before the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that it's wrong uh, I just think it's about what you're doing and how you're doing it and not just doing it just because you saw it or heard that it was cool. Actually having a process, like why are you doing a power clean on game day? Yeah. Well, what's the intensity? What's the volume, right? If you want to hit one or two just to get them primed and get them going, cool. Um, in my Where I am, where you're dealing with, where it's a little more, uh, uh, you don't have as much room for error, <laughs> and, this, and 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 what the level that I'm on, I wouldn't hit a power clean on game day. Uh, if I did, it'd probably be anywhere between 70, 75 percent something. I know that athlete can get a couple times and feel good afterwards. Um, high school kids, I mean, sometimes it's just like plyos, uh, some of that stuff, just to get them primed in the morning or whatever. But I wouldn't do like a whole lift on game day. But there are some exercises and volumes and intensities that have shown the prime the body for uh, getting ready for game day. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of those. Um, LeBron, every once in a while, will post a video of himself, like, lifting on game day. He's lifting hard, and you're like, what? Yeah. But, I mean, he's just a freak. He's, like, 36 years old, and he's still, you know. At the yeah, top hey, of that's kids. a special dude, man. You only <laughs> see cats like that once or twice in a lifetime. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um but before I let you go, I did want to ask you about your NFL experience as a coach. Um, I saw, so I, I think it was 49ers in 2016. Do I have that right? 2015, 2016. Yeah. Okay. Was that Coach Harbaugh? Was he there when you were there? Or? No, it was right after him. So it was Coach Tom Sula for one year and then okay. Coach uh, Chip Kelly for another year. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you take from your experience coaching in the NFL? What was different about that? Oh, that's what, that's when I really got into like individualized training mm-hmm. uh, is really getting to know your athletes and putting them in the right position to succeed. Um, organization and logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I really, really got locked in on the sports science piece and allowing the data to tell a story, but not letting the data uh, write the whole story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's that's that was my that was my biggest growth because I was able to deal with uh, rookies uh, who were coming out of like college uh, and also dealing with you know the guy that's on his way out that's 
35, 36 years old and what his program looks like compared to that 23-year-old coming fresh out of college program. Right. Uh, and, 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 and honestly, seeing some of those older guys functioning a lot better in the weight room than some of those younger guys coming out of some college programs. Right. Uh, so uh, just being able to have four or five different things going on at one time and knowing exactly what's going on in each of those different programs, uh, you know, the communication, not only with your athletes, but communication with sport coaches, communication with athletic trainers, communication with sports scientists, communication with the GM, mm-hmm. right? When it comes to money and weights and, and if that weight affects some money, right? And how just to be organized and thorough and detailed and always uh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's is huge because it could cost you your job on, on that level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I remember uh, Chip Kelly was there for a couple of three years, I think. And when he got there, the culture of, you know, sports science and nutrition and the smoothies and all that stuff was just, uh, it was like a culture shock. He was, he was ahead of the game on that. So that must've been a great experience to be. No doubt. doubt. Well, uh, coach Johnson, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time and, um, yeah, uh, continued success to you and your career. Thanks to coach Johnson for joining the podcast and sharing his training philosophy. Follow him on Twitter at underscore Coach B-E-E-1. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.